and uh, one time no thought. Hello, everybody. My name is Kevin Verga, and I'm joined as always with my co-host Devin D'Agostino. Devin, how are you? I am doing just fine, Kevin. How are you today? I'm good. Like, tell me what's on your mind. Like, we never just gab anymore. What's up? <laughs> oh man, you know, like when you say the problem with asking what's on someone's mind. Yeah. It's like, it reminds me of that, you know, that psych study where they say, don't think about a polar bear. And then you yeah. can only think about the polar bear. It's yeah. like, what's on your mind. And then your mind immediately becomes blank. You know what I mean? We, instead of saying what's on your mind, we should say, think about a polar bear. Hey, definitely. And then you wouldn't be able to think about it. Think about a polar bear. I'm doing well. <laughs> I really want to avoid, because every time I say, Kevin says, how are you doing today, Devin? I say, I'm yeah. doing well, Kevin. And I really went out of my way to not say I'm doing well. And here we are. Yeah, we got nothing but time right I'm now. So well. I figured why not just like kind of dive in and just see how you're doing. So just thinking about polar bears. Great. Should we move on from Devin? Devin's corner? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great because moving on from Devin's corner, we have two very special guests. If you couldn't see in the title of the podcast, we tried to keep it a secret. It's Rachel Malik and Emma Spoldy. Welcome back. How are you guys? I'm great. I can't wait to chat. Hello. Fantastic. Hi, Emma. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Devin. Hi. Polar bear. I was just going to say, I've, it's funny that you mentioned it because I've been thinking about polar bears all day and What's I was hoping up? it would come up. Well, what's been on your mind about them? Just, I mean, all the things, you know, are they as deadly as they are made out to be by the media? Yeah. Do they enjoy Coca-Cola? Maybe they're Pepsi people. A lot of things. Emma, what are your feelings on polar bears? I like them. I think they're quite fascinating. They seem chill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Chill but deadly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But which I think is is cool. Which I'm kind of into. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm. It's kind of like a bad boy, but like I can yeah. change them. I can yeah. change them. Yeah. Yeah. I can change their climate permanently. Yeah. Cold. Of We're like doing decades. it. <laughs> Look at us, Kev. <laughs> And uh, that's change. our show. It's Emma, bad. Rachel, thank you so much for coming. This has been, uh, been four people on a Zoom talk about polar bears. Evan, let's closing thoughts. Yeah, I'm going to stay hungry. Just about, <sighs> and now I can't think about polar bears. It's good we have two guests today because I'm not functioning. Devin, myself, Rachel, and Emma are all going to stop making sense. And what that means is every week we choose a new talking head song to analyze and ponder. And we let our minds wander to uncharted realms of science and comedy and music and polar bears where we answer such burning questions as who took the money? Who took the money away? Why stay in college? Why go to night school? And most importantly, where is that large polar bear? All this coming up on Devin and Kevin and Emma and Rachel. Stop making sense. This week's episode is... I'm not even sure how to pronounce the name of the song. Can someone give it a shot? Because I'm really not entirely sure. Love Arrow. I read, I read it in my mind as a colon. Like, love. Building on fire. Uh, Devin, I feel like you actually know the answer. What is it? Yes, the technical name of this song is Love, Arrow Pointing Right, Building on Fire. <laughs>
you look at the if you listen to the audio version of the album as opposed to as the opposed to what? <laughs> right now and i love it i feel like this is the energy we want going into what i found as people pronounce it as love goes to building on fire i saw a i lot like of that better i think me too yeah. i do like the dramatic pause of the colon or the semicolon which is love and may i add this is our special valentine's day episode as we talk about love mailing on fire yes with all of this excess sound volume i'm putting kevin on the spot and giving him two days to edit and get this video out for our Valentine's Day session. <laughs> Whenever this comes out, I think we can still qualify this as the Valentine's Day special because we're recording it approximately one, two, three days before Valentine's Day. So uh, let's just do just a very normal round robin. How how are we celebrating Valentine's Day this year and how does this song relate to your plans? Yes, Rachel. Um, I'm seeing a guy and we're going to the local movie theater to see a classic throwback showing of The Notebook, which is my every dream come true. And it relates to this because I am scared of commitment and it makes me feel like I'm in a fire. <laughs> Make sure you don't shout fire in that crowded movie theater. Yes, Dad, I won't do it. Doing? I won't do it. So my girlfriend is listening. We haven't seen her in three months. Jeez. Loving the time of Corona. And it relates to this song because we are committing arson. Okay. No, I'm not. Um, I'm probably having a low-key Valentine's Day, a.k.a. doing nothing. Um, I'm probably going to do some schoolwork, so I guess relation to the song, just confused about love. Is That seems to be, um, other than arson, like the direct, you know, interpretation of the title, is this song about something? Is it a narrative? Are there people in love? Are there people not in love? I was thinking back to Emma and Rachel's episodes, and they both had interesting ideas about narratives and that... Um, Emma, you did Strange Overtones, and then Rachel, we did This Must Be The Place, and we learned that all the lines are non-sequiturs, and we're assigning our own narratives to a song that may not need one, mm -hmm. but I was having trouble bouncing back and forth between that the song does have a narrative and that the song doesn't have a narrative, so what do you all think? I, for one, <laughs> I, for one, was I think that... Oh, sorry. I thought that I was going to go first. You can go. <laughs> I was super confused if I'm being I honest think that, oh. Shut up, Devin. I swear to God. <laughs> Here's what I think. I listened to it a handful of times in a row, and each time I got like more confused as to the meaning 
The more so I tried to look issue? for meaning, the less of it was there. Do you want me to go academic with this? Because I have an academic point to make. I was going to wait for the 30-minute mark, but yeah. I feel like now is as good a time as any. Um, have any of you studied modernism literature at any point in your academic careers or otherwise? Mm, not officially. Okay, I took a couple modernism courses and they were fascinating. But the, my main takeaway about modernism literature is that it's written in a way that if your mind wanders, the author wants your mind to wander. So that's what this reminded me of in that it, I had a very hard time like focusing on this actual song. And I was like getting very frustrated about why can I make any meaning of this? And why does it make zero sense? And I just want to like have some like deep thought about love right now and it being on fire and that being like some kind of metaphor for like a burning passion. But I couldn't, I couldn't make that true um, with using the song as like a text to refer to. And I thought, oh my God, maybe that's the point. Modernism. Emma, how did, did you have a similar experience or were you able to find a clear um, something to latch on to? I'm not going to lie. When I first read the title, I didn't even see the burning building part. I thought it was just called love, to be quite honest. Um, so I think going into it, I was a little confused. And I think to Rachel's point, also, it's true. Rachel texted me throughout the day saying she was really confused um, and angry that she didn't had no food. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't think there's a narrative to this song, at least in my opinion. I think it's more overall the concept of love. I like the, the music, though. It was good. You found that the, the music was good, but the lyrics, if they almost weren't there, it would be a more graspable song or I would say so yeah song to listen to similar to strange overtones mm. like I could like bop this like getting ready add mm. the lyrics interesting confused and kind of sad about love Ooh, yeah Devin I was having a very tough time penetrating this song and I decided that I was going to do something very abnormal I was going to look at any of the messenger boards <laughs> said penetrating this song can we redo that i didn't i couldn't think of a word it's funny all right it's kind of funny. let's just i didn't roll. want to react but then kevin saw I... me react and then i had <laughs> i had a tough time breaking down this song and i made a deliberate attempt i'm like i'm not going to read any of the messenger boards i'm not going to look at any interpretations i'm just going to go into it sort of as sparse as the lyrics are but then i was listening to it for like the eight thousandth time and I had an epiphany in verse five, so I would like to draw our attention to that. I've got two loves. I've got two loves. And they go tweet, 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 like little bird. They're my two loves. And they go tweet, 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 like little birds. They're my two loves. Count them. One, two, loves. What did you get out of <laughs> This is a man having an affair. It's scandalous. He's balancing oh, two oh, loves. And they're tweet-tweeting. They're chattering. They're chattering to the mutual friends. They're chattering to one another. They're finding out. And that's why they're finding out. And that's why his love is built, why his face is a building on fire, because, well, he's blotching. Because he knows they're finding out. He's The blood is rushing to his face, and his house is on fire. He's going... And he's trying, he's like, you know, he's trying to restore. He says, when my love stands next to your love, he is reassuring his other affair. Oh, no, no, she's nothing. She's not important to me. Then she goes to the other one. Oh, no, no, no. She's, there's nothing between us. There's nothing happening. 
but they're tweet, 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 tweeting like little birds. And the two loves are collapsing and his house is in flames like that meme of that dog saying everything is fine. Okay. Modernism. Yeah, holy cow. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think it's hard to unsee that once you see it. But you know what? I'm going to, I'm, I will say that I did visit the messenger boards and I was finding some interesting things. And I, I would like to call your attention to another um, kind of interpretation. You want me to read it? Please. This is from N1 Airwaves on songmeanings.com. And his comment reads I don't know what this song is about, but I've always imagined it from the point of view of a geeky librarian heartbroken and kneeled over on the grass with his fists reaching towards the sky as his love, the library, goes up in flames. In the crowd, he sees two lovers together staring at the fire, clearly in love, which leads the protagonist, the librarian, to feel silly for comparing his love for the library to that of two lovers. The tweet tweet, like the birds part, reminds this person of a siren. Is there any happiness? I don't know. And you know what? I'm going to say that the librarian thing made sense to me, one, because of modernist literature, and two, because there's a lot of literary devices at play here. The song opens with a heck of a lot of personification. Am I wrong? He's personifying love, right? Your love standing next to other love. Love doesn't stand, but it does when it's personified. Just because he's opening with a literary device, I think it makes sense that we we can read this as a literary text. Interesting. Or a library. You wrote a lot of things. <laughs> or a, a literary text or a library text. I, yeah. You brought up a lot of things that I was um, reading into as well. And, you know, we hopped in halfway through the song. But, Rachel, you brought up the first lyrics, is, which are, when my love stands next to your love, I can't compare love when it's not love. Firstly, the lyrics are very simple, and I found that they are very consequent. They almost have a suspense to them, like one can't exist without the other. Each line is qualifying the next, and that definitely comes in later, like, which is my face, which is the building, which is on fire. Like, we're just getting more and more descriptive while we're losing meaning because it makes less and less sense. Yeah, which is another... um, literary device there which i believe is metaphor which is my face my face is a building which is on fire that seems like something that could be in like bad beatnik poetry like my face is a building on fire it sounds almost melodramatic so that's why i I was surprised that you guys wanted to get rid of the lyrics because i thought i kind of like the chase of it all and that the lyrics were a little out there and open for interpretation and I think I'm genuinely frustrated by them, but I appreciate them as like a poem and I appreciate them as art because they seem purposely chosen. I feel like I disagree. I think it seems so haphazard and random that they were like, ha ha, let's just make this make no sense. Stomach. Ah, stomach. Like, let's just watch. <laughs> Let's just watch the kids do their little podcast and try to figure it out. But there's nothing to figure out. The joke's on you, fools. So that's why I'm with Emma. Like, delete the lyrics. We see right through you. 
Emma, but you said you felt sad about these. So the lyrics made you feel sad when I, it seems like the music isn't very sad, but the lyrics make them sad. Would you say that? Mm-hmm, definitely. This could be a beautiful poem, a beautiful, sad poem without like the lyrics, which I guess like a song, technically a poem, but if you just read it like on paper, but the music is beautiful too. I'm hung up on this goes to. I think there's something there. Cause I never read it as that. But this arrow, love goes to building on fire. What's falling apart? What's collapsing? Because it is, it's very abrupt. And it could, you know, it starts off, could be just like your regular old love song. And then suddenly it's a building on fire. <laughs> I was hoping someone else would grab it. <laughs> Well, yeah, this, is, this is a... There's a building on fire. Come on. Come on. It's like that scene in Freaky Friday where they're trying to talk about Hamlet and the guy's like, well, Hamlet's a guy <laughs> who's real confused. <laughs> and the teacher's like, yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> so I also, going back to how the lyrics are presented, yeah. the singing voice that David Byrne chooses to sing these in, I think is ear-catching. Like, it's catchy. He has this half falsetto and he does kind of project these words like he is trying to schmooze his way through English class like it's kind of melodramatic and over the top and trying to make it sound something more than it actually comes off to be which I really like He really does interact well with his voice, the guitar, and then the drums. All have something that need to be released. And it seems like after each of us has listened to the song multiple times, we don't quite get there. We don't have any sort of conclusion at the end of this. We have no idea who these loves are. I'm not even sure that the loves are a person. They could be hobbies or objects. We bring in personifying aspects that make people objects too when their face is a building that's on fire. We get we travel through this song multiple times. We dance to it, we get angry at it, we shake our fist at it, and we listen again and again, and somehow we I think Rachel said this, we almost get further away from a conclusion. And I don't think I've ever had an experience like that. I'm all for like leaving it open but look at those lines man and they go tweet 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 like little birds they're my two loves and they go tweet 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 like little birds they're my two loves his two loves are chatting with one another and they're chatting with friend group and they're about to find out and he's losing he's freaking out and that's why he sounds like frantic at the end and he's using this high-pitched voice because you know that high-pitched voice you use like when you try to reassure someone yeah, I totally know that voice. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Everything's all right. It's okay. It's fine. It's fine. I'm destined for a love triangle, specifically between a future love of mine and his brother. I talked about this recently in my analysis of the film Moonstruck, which I've never seen, but I have learned that that's sort of the plot. I can't explain it. I just feel called to that life. I'm not going to try to do it. While you're seeing the Yeah, film. like I'm going to go for some kind of family dinner and we're going to be like, there's a spark, we can't deny it. 
but we have to deny it. For how long? I don't know, for a little, until until one day one of us cracks. And lights the house on fire. Goes on fire, exactly. So again, it's not a situation that I want to be in, but imagine the personal growth and evolution that's coming out of that. I mean, you know what I mean? Like I'm a different person. I'm not saying it's for better or for worse. I'm just saying life is about evolution. We're constantly shape-shifting and evolving. Wait, hold on. Wait, you can't just... The final line that you gave was, like, very poetic and, like, a very nice conclusion to that, but I felt like it was almost a non-sequitur to this love triangle that you just laid out. Like, here, the first brother confronts you, and you're like, Rachel, what the hell? You're dating my brother? And you're like, it's all consequential. It's really, you know, the cosmos and everything. I can't really control I'll just send him this podcast and I'll be like, you were warned. Emma, does a love triangle appeal to you at all? Not at all. Not at all. Only no. Twilight between so Edward and Jacob. That's the only thing. So you admit that you <laughs> like it. <laughs> no, it's co- it's confusing and it's bad for the other people. Mm. Any- someone gets hurt. Can I say something? Sure. I think no matter what. Okay, let's use Twilight. <laughs> okay. So in as we're assessing the Twilight love triangle, it's like, oh my God, Bella needs to make up her freaking mind. As if Edward has never looked at another woman. As if yeah. Jacob has never howled at another werewolf. Are you kidding me? No, it's just because that plot centers around that triangle. Life is not one triangle, but a series of lots of triangles, okay? Yeah. No, you're right. Is that like, yes, at another point, he's had another vampire love. Maybe another mortal love. No, he love. hasn't. Okay, I, again, I haven't seen the movies. I'm sorry. <laughs> I haven't read the book either. <laughs> but like, are you really never? Like, he's never looked at another? How do you know? I'd like to start by saying thank you, Rachel, for b- talking about something that you've never seen, because that's a running theme on the podcast that I will refer to something that I have no, that I'm familiar with, but I've never seen. What I'd like to add to this conversation is triangles, according to engineers, are the strongest shape. Hell yeah, they are. Keep going. That's all I had. <laughs> okay. Wait, so you guys are into triangles? Love triangles? They strengthen everybody. everybody. They strengthen everybody involved. Triangles. They strengthen cinematic plots. They strengthen our resolve as human beings. I'm not, like, life has conflict, all right? Sometimes you need some steamy triangles. I purposely pled the fifth when we discussed previous love triangles, but I will say that I have a trigonal pyramid. They're not, they are, I think, no. (laughs) No, they, I think they are, they're a constructive experience for everyone involved. Constructive? Yes. Like very much like triangles are the strongest shape in construction. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's not true. That can't be true. That's, Otherwise, that's, no, that like everything houses. else I've said has been made up today. But that I know for a fact. Triangles are the strongest shape. Look it up. Listen, I'm all for challenging societal norms and monogamy. I think honestly, honestly, I think we're evolving beyond monogamy. All right. There's a lot of people. We make <laughs> a right. lot of connections in our lives nowadays. We have hundreds of thousands of followers and friends we can connect to people all over the world in an instant we have dating apps we can be on multiple dating apps at once and on top of all that the natural state of being in life is very complex people are getting over exes but 
meeting new people. Sometimes you're still with someone when you're seeing new people. Then you're like, I still like this person, but I want to meet this new person. How do I navigate this? What's a friend? What's a girlfriend? What's a partner? It's very complex. So when Rachel says that there's triangles upon triangles upon triangles, I think that that's true. And I think that as we get older, these triangles only get more and more complex, more and more isosceles, if I may be so bold. And we're all looking for that perfect equilateral triangle, but it's hard to find. You know, there's only one equilateral triangle in my life. You know what that is? The Holy Trinity. So just keep that in mind while you're going through all your different triangles, being a little acute. Don't be obtuse (laughs) to the Holy Trinity, Mm -hmm. the big triangle upstairs. So that's all I'm going to say. Holy cow. All right. I think it's time to Happy die. Happy Valentine's Day. We're not going to sad, but we love God. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I think it is time to die. <laughs> and that's why I would like to move Lent us into our... Us. That's why I would like to move us into our segment. Devin and Kevin and Rachel and Emma die. Yay. Okay. So, how does it work? Oh, yes. I remember this. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Emma remembers. Emma, describe it, but like... How would you describe that moment? Sweat it out, Emma. You, when it was Devin, Kevin, and Emma dying. Oh, I mean, like? it was quite nerve-wracking, but I think our skit was pretty good, I'm not going to lie. A little imp- Improv! That's the oh, word! Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Devin and Kevin die. If you're a first-time listener and you've made it this far into the episode, first, congratulations. But Devin and Kevin die is a segment where Kevin and I roll a die. And we have a list of characters from different Talking Heads songs, a list of t- settings from different Talking Heads songs. And we give each other a character and we pull a setting and then we just go with it. With the goal of dying. So, I'm going to roll the die. I have six characters here from different Talking Heads songs and six settings here from different Talking Heads songs. I will roll the die for each one of us. Give us a character, give us a setting, and we will get into it. Who wants to go first? You got four. So you are a monkey out of me. A monkey out of me? Seven. A monkey out of me. Kevin, you got two, so you are a world with a load of questions. Oh. Emma, you got six, so you are little birds. <laughs> and I got three, so I am a warning sign. Nice. And we are in a hole in my head. And scene. Rachel, it seems like me and you are the only people with any sense around this hole. Tweet, all right. Tweet. So listen, warning. I got a lot of questions. <laughs> tweet, tweet. And I just need you to listen to me. And I need any questions that you can ask because all we have is birds and warning Warning. signs. (laughs) Rachel, how did you get here? Do you remember waking up here? Did we fall in? Where did we come from? Warning. All I know is that I'm curious about it. So we're in the bottom of a ditch, a big hole, and you're just curious about it? Warning. feeling you have? Yeah. What do you think this warning is? I think the warning doesn't know. I think the warning is a little confused himself. I mean, here oh. we are in this hole in my head. Yeah. Warning. I'm curious, as you said, which implies that I don't know what the hell's going on. And neither does this warning tweet, tweet, tweet a warning. I think you're right. I think the warning likes to project warning. the idea that he knows what's going on around here, but he really doesn't know what's going on around here. Warning doesn't Do know which warning. way's up. Yeah. Warning. What's, what's your deal, warning? <laughs> Tell us what's up, man. Why do you think you're so tough? Why do you think you're so willing to warning. warn us? I really thought that would work. He nah, seemed like an nah, insane warning. warning. The we? problem here, comrade, warning. is that we're losing daylight. And you're if right. this hole in my head lasts till nightfall, there's no hope for any of us. Let's get the hell out of here. Do you have any supplies on you? Well, I do have this ladder. 
you Warning. brought that up now? Are you kidding me? We've been here for hours. I thought we should just, you know, reminisce in it for a while. We did meet this bird. The Can bird is and- awfully cheery. And I like that about her. Tweet, 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 tweet. Yeah, tweet. We're falling the hell apart, but this bird Warning. is tweeting like there's nothing wrong. Tweet. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I just found something else in my bag. What did you find? I have a lot of a, questions. A Warning. bird translating device to translate what? the bird's tweets. Translator. Activated. Up. Hey, bird. <laughs> Deactivate translator. Oh, tweet, my tweet, God. Tweet, 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 tweet. Warning. <laughs> tweet. Well, let's climb up the ladder and just okay. get the hell out of here. Leave the sign. Take the bird. Tweet, 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 tweet. The bird's following us. We're out of the you hole. You climb to the it. surface and die. Because the warning sign was warning you not to go up. Tweet. How dare you, Devin, you gave us nothing that whole entire bit. And then you kill us when we t- be proactive and get out of the hole. You gave us nothing. How dare you? I won. <laughs> Did not. Uh, the purpose was to die. <laughs> Generally angry right now, but that's fine. That skit, if I may say, <laughs> left me with the same feelings as this godforsaken song. The more we did it, the more confusing it got. And the birds made less and less sense. Yeah, no, you're right. Like, as What's it progressed, I felt like there was a lot of potential to really understand and dive into it. But there was, you know, two actors trying to really dive into the hole that we were in. And then there was a lot of... Clearly, the warning sign of the bird. <laughs> Those two were in it. <laughs> we were flown to no man's land. <laughs> and then as we really tried to gather more information from the things around us, um, we just got more frustrated with it and we wound up killing ourselves apparently uh, when we tried to get out it of happens. it. Happens. So, it happens. Um, this actually is a really good um, exercise in patience because uh, the song had me very antsy. And now that bit has me very antsy and I want to like use this energy. Like where, where should we yeah. dive back into the song or where should we go from this with all this pent up um, potential energy here? Yes, Emma. Um, why did you choose this song for us? Oh, good question, bird. Tweet, tweet. Tweet, tweet. <laughs> tweet, tweet. She said tweet. tweet, tweet. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, Devin, I don't know if we both chose this song or I just chose this. Do you remember? I think you showed me the song. You're like, this would be a good song for Emma and Rachel. And I was like, oh, yeah. I think me and Devin finished recording an episode. I think it was either The Great Curve or Making Flippy Floppy. And we we're just talking about future episodes. We wanted guests. So why not have two of our good buddies on? For some reason, I saw this song and something in my soul said, I want to get Rachel and Emma's take on this. The quadrility of us, us four, really like to. <laughs> the phrase that popped in my head was bang our head against the wall of love, which is yeah. just struggle with love and the, its definition, which is a line, which is when my love stands next to your love, I can't define love when it's not love. I don't know three people in my life who have tried to define love with more frequently than the three people in this podcast right now. That is why I chose this song. I think I can start making sense by stopping making sense. You mentioned buddies, Kevin. You said we can't define friendship. Well, I'm about to define it. This song tells us we can't compare love. 
So I decided, of course, that I would like to compare love with my Stop Making Sense today and talk about, from the Nicomachean Ethics by Aristotle, the three types of friendship. Aristotle's ethics are all about playing the middle, right? You want to do in moderation. You don't want to be in the extremes, finding a midway to, between two vices, which gives you virtue. And his virtue for friendship is called philia, brotherly love or sisterly love or anybodyly love, we can say in this case. You're not being egotistical. You're not all about yourself, but you're not up in everyone's business either. So he sets out three types of friendship. Utility, person who gets you concert tickets, right? Person you latch on to when you're like in the crowd, you want to look like you have friends, popular. Someone you use because you get some benefit out of them. Number two is pleasure. You're drinking, buddy. Someone you laugh with, have fun. And number three, the best of all, the virtue, is the person you value for themselves. You were talking about how in our postmodern 21st century social media and few society, we can have an endless supply of friends. But according to a psychologist named Dunbar, you can have a max of 150 social relationships in your life. And it's in different like rings too. So it goes down, I think it's the 150 and then the 70 and then the 30. But he, according to Dunbar, you can only have five BFF, those friends that you appreciate for the friend in themselves. Take That's it away. beautiful. <laughs> is it to only have five yeah, is, is people it? <laughs> in your life that you could ever get really close to? I think of it in terms of picking out my bridal party, which is something that's giving me anxiety. Mm. Are you getting married soon? No. Oh. But it's never too early to start fretting about this one. Yeah. So think about it. You maybe want to have like, I'll think, okay, six bridesmaids. Okay. I can rattle off a few home girls that would fit the bill. But then love connection. You got to start, you know, linking in the dude. Does he have a sister? I hope not. Otherwise she's got to be in the party. All of a sudden she becomes one of your people. I'm not saying one of the five BFFs. She's in your circle now and you didn't even pick her. What's interesting, I think, is when your circles start intersecting with somebody else's. And that's an interesting love conversation that I'd like to bring to the table today. I, I'm more with that, like, I can only kind of manage, like, five really close friends. Because I want to put, like, all myself into that those relationships. I honestly, I don't see myself, like, ever having five plus, like, very, very close friends that I can, like, trust and that I can talk to every day, et cetera, and maintain those relationships. So I think I have to agree. What was the psychologist's name again, Devin? Dunbar. Um, Dunbar, yeah. Dunbar. And I, I, I think I put a lot of, I, I introduced it a little incorrectly. I put a lot of stress. It's not like you choose five people and that's it. Yeah. You can switch people right. in and out. So one day I can be like, Raj, get out of here. It's okay. You never <laughs> listen to the podcast. I can be like, Raj, get out of here. Right. Stevie over here is the best. So right. Oh, I love Stevie. Justice for Stevie, man. Stevie's that guy's cool, sick. man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's in my top five too. I didn't know you knew Stevie. How'd you meet Stevie? <laughs> yeah, Stevie's great. Yeah. Through your top five. Oh, you. Oh, you follow my top five? Of course. Yeah. We podcast together. I'm not in your top five. What? You weren't in mine. No, definitely not. No, I definitely saw that I was in your top five. <laughs> Otherwise, I wouldn't be here right now. No, I don't think so. Okay. If you had to, yep. if you had to rank your top five friends right now, you don't have to do it right now. I was gonna but say, how let's quickly, not. how quickly do you think you could do it? 
I think it depends on the day. If I'm being completely honest with you. Wow, a lot of a lot of um, fluctuation. Yeah, I think I think maybe not with the five people, but with like the the order. And I, what are we ranking on? Are we ranking on like how good they make me feel, or is it ranking like how good a friend I am to them? And maybe that impacts how I feel about the friend. Oh, that'd be a totally different list. That's a good question. Okay. Like, I I liked what Devin brought up, which was filial love. Totally love, like the love you have for your friends. I'll rank my top five friends right now. Do it. <laughs> David Byrne. Stevie. Taj, the brain weatherman from episode two. <laughs> Stevie. And no longer Kevin. What? So who's five? <laughs> and those are my five. Anybody else? What? That's it. Okay. I'm open. Listeners, mail us in at the same address you get your triangle from. Mm-hmm. If you would like to be in my top five. And I'll pick whoever's letter I get first. Well, Sick. my top five is uh, one is Stevie. Two is David Byrne. Uh, three tied is Rachel and Emma. Which is why, mm. you know, I think I'd be in their top three too. Cheating. Four is uh, that's it. I think I, I think I really keep a short list. And this is actually really interesting because I have felt like this before. I'd like to bring where all four of us maybe developed our filial love, which was we were all RAs on the same staff. All right. Do you guys remember that? That yes. was like three years ago. It's coming back to me. Yeah. Yeah. So at one point we didn't know each other. And then also at one point we didn't know each other and we lived in the same building every day, which I think is wonderful. But as RAs, you have to make a lot of social connections. You have to create these very unique and intimate relationships with your coworkers, i.e. us who are still friends three and a half years later, and also have these other forms of relationships with your residents and your superiors and your residents' friends yada 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 if you do this for two three years you have a lot of residents hundreds of hundreds of residents also the buildings that you live in have more people that know you and you have big staffs what i'm trying to say is all that on top of your friends and your family there's a point where you almost have to create this barrier where you say no more people i can't learn any more names i have to put a barrier on my love because i'm stretched too thin and I felt bad like by the time I was a senior I had been doing this for three years I had a lot of friends and RA colleagues and former residents and I felt like I had to just stop like giving myself out which felt very selfish but I had to do it did have any of you guys felt that whether it be in the RA context or just in your life where you felt like you had to put a lid on your friendships yeah, like these times, quarantine, especially when quarantine, when it was like full lockdown, I think there was a way to like actually quantify the relate, like to have numbers in front of you that showcase how much time you spent. I'm talking like FaceTime calls. Like if I looked at my FaceTime log to be like, who this week did I prioritize? Like which which relationship friendship did I spend time nourishing this week? And you could like literally tell and then it made me feel bad when I didn't keep in touch with certain, but you can't, like, it gets to a point of the day, you can't spend your whole day on FaceTime, like being sad about coronavirus. So like that, I think was a really interesting time of like actually seeing it in front of me, like, oh my God, today's task list is like calling this person, this person, then this person, like it, like a chore, which is like the opposite of what you wanted to feel like. So I think that was an interesting kind of twist. Well, I think as you have all been privy to, I like to sort of like mesh together different friend groups and see what happens you do but i think i'm the kind of person where 
that five BFFs, it's constantly shifting in and now, you know, if we believe Dunbar's experiment that you can have 150 max social relationships, and I think there's two ways it can be. One is that you hit the cap and that's it, or otherwise you're able to shift people in and out depending on what the time is, where you are, what, you know, what your environment is. So I think it really depends on the person, but I do think this like 150 number and this five close friends, there's something to it. Emma, what do you think? You said you like to keep a, a tight circle. Keep That five number sounded pretty um, accurate. Yeah, I would say so. I think you. also because like I'm very much an introvert and relationships take a lot of effort. Sometimes I'm like, oh, it's my fault. It's my fault. But it's also like a two-way street kind of thing. So um, I'm kind of just learning that to be okay with a very small circle of friends. And similar to what Devin said, it's like in and out, in and out. It's kind of just accepting that relationships change over time and that it's okay for relationships to change over time. But yes, I do agree. I am a much smaller um, group. The 150 numbers, like I'm never, ever going to get, like going to get up there at all. But granted, I think like when they say 150, it's it doesn't need to necessarily be a friend. It can be the okay, person yeah. you see at work all the time or like okay, sure. if you, yeah. But there's also, you know, bringing something else into another friendship study, which takes all the joy out of friendships, is they say that if you are with someone for over seven years, that's for life. If you hit the seven year mark, then you're good. And so does that like solidify them as one of the five BFFs? I don't know how much I agree with that. I was friends with my elementary school best friend technically for seven years and i haven't talked to them in over seven years so i think it depends on where you are in your life but also i think it needs to be qualified because if we're talking about love i think if you're in love with someone for nearly seven years um i can imagine them not being in your life anymore but also still loving them which is something that I've faced in my life and has been like a great lesson in my life as we talk about shifting your top five. Like when you're in love with someone, there are one or two, you know, and then you break up with them. Now are they zero? Like they're not, they're not out of your top five, even though you may want them to be and they will eventually be. But it takes a long time for them to get out of that top five. And then also... I found that I still care about these people for my whole life. And I wasn't, I haven't been in a seven year relationship, um, romantic relationship, but I think that's interesting. So I don't know if I'm agreeing with you, Devin, or disagreeing with you, but I guess it's just the context that I find interesting. So just because someone leaves your time, because what do you do after a breakup? You go to your friends and you're seeing your friends a lot more often in place of whoever that significant other was. And they go into your top five and your significant other gradually goes through and they may end up staying in like that 150 circle, right? And never necessarily leaving it. Uh, seven years in elementary school is a very different thing than seven years, like seven years of your 20s. You know what I mean? We talk about chapters of life. I think which chapter of life the seven year friendship takes place in plays a big factor. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, to continue with devil's advocate, what if maybe it has to do, let's bring it back to Aristotle, right? Like your friend of elementary school is one of your pleasure friends. It's a buddy, you go outside, um, you have recess together, but maybe it's like those mutual appreciation friends, the ones that you appreciate for themselves, their values, whatever it is. If you hit seven years with those friends. Yeah. That's yeah. one that Do you think those two things are like overlap in that like 
it's hard to have like a really deep relationship with somebody when you're young. Do you know what I mean? Like maybe the, like you have to give the chance, the relationship a chance to grow. And when you become older and wiser and that, you can get to like a deeper level in that friendship. But like, no matter what, when you're <laughs> birth to seven years old, like that's not going to be a life altering friendship necessarily. Maybe that's not true. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I think anyone you've been with for seven, like maybe what they mean about the seven years, they don't necessarily have to be in your top five. But that person you were in elementary school with and friends with for seven years, I think you could pick up from where you left off Yeah, because you have seven years of history to build off of. Well, like moving from California to New Jersey, I literally had to stop like my friendships at the age of like 12. So you're in that like middle school slash I'm cool kind of I've grown up with these kids and then totally going into like this new community. The chapters in life, I think are so interesting because I think Rachel and Emma, I just texted you guys. I was like, Hey, I think I entered chapter six, which I'm excited. Chapter five, chapter five, that contained a breakup that contained Corona, but also contained a lot of personal growth. And then all of a sudden I was like, Hey, I think I'm in chapter six and I'm happy to be in chapter six. But an interesting, I like this uh, metaphor of assigning life chapters, like it's a book. And then Emma said, when you meet up with a friend in a different chapter of your life, you can pick back up like you just saw them. And it's almost like a good friendship is like a good book that you've kind of read a little bit and you familiarize yourself with it and that you can pick up the book and you still have the overall story in the back of your mind. But let's say an overall favorite of this show is 100 Years of Solitude. It might be a few years before I read that again, but now I'll go back and I can just open up to a random chapter and just be like, ah, yes, this is why I like that book. And I think that's what we'll all have when we eventually get out of the pandemic, the lockdown. We're going to like pick up with, I think, a lot of relationships. And I think maybe I'm looking too far ahead, but I think there's going to be a lot of social burnout in that all of a sudden, after we've been hunkered down with our top five people, which might just be our family and our dog right now, or our roommate, we're gonna like wanna see everyone the first few weeks and months. And I think we're gonna be exhausted and confused. <laughs> no, I have a choose your own adventure here. I could bring us somewhere where I think we could start to wrap things, or I could bring something that's totally out, totally out of left field, switch my hands there, because that's my right hand, totally out of left field and throw a wrecking ball into the entire conversation. I know what I want, but I think it's our guest call. Let's let the guest decide. <laughs> I want to give it my all. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Wrecking ball, Devin. Wrecking ball. Wrecking I'll make ball. it do quick. It, do it. Do okay, it. you're talking about chapters in your life and one continuous story, right? And you're in a very Western philosophy, literature mindset. But let's go to Buddhism. And Buddhism says that you are not one continuous self, that you're you have no self, right? It's a no self principle. And the way it made the most sense to me is they compare it to a bunch of little strings, right? You lay a bunch of strings out on a, on the floor in front of you. And if you move one of the strings, the ripple gets sent down because it pushes into the other one and the force exerts itself and it goes down the line. That's why you have karma and that your karma can have rever- like reverberations in, later in your life. But you're not oneself. All of those little strings are individual pieces that are separate and distinct. Physically, you're not oneself, right? Every 13 years, all of your cells are placed. Okay, this must be the place, right? We put these narratives, we put these story structures 
onto our lives, onto our songs, like Love Building on Fire, when really there might not be anything there. We try to build this narrative structure because it makes sense to us, because it makes us feel comfortable. But when we really analyze it, when it really comes down to it, it all sort of collapses like a building on fire. And that's a perfect way to wind, wrap this episode up. But I'm not going to let it wrap up there um, because I want to talk about living fourth dimensionally. And I want to bring a fourth dimension into this podcast. Uh, Rachel and Emma were definitely talking. They really wanted me to you know, bring this up around this time, like towards the end of it. Where it um, so I've been thinking a lot about living fourth dimensionally and how it helps me conceptualize the present. And what I mean by that is imagine yourself on a timeline okay that's really two-dimensional just a line left to right on a sheet of paper we picture on the left side of the line at the very beginning is our birth and then at the very end of our line we don't know how long the line will be but the end on the right side is death (sighs) and somewhere along in the middle we're in some chapter and only god can like tell us where we are on the line right now Um, but we're somewhere in there but but we have to bring in more dimensions in that who is that dot? We're more than just a dot on a line. We're an experiencing being and we have, to, and we have a past. We have old friends. We have new friends. We have loves we haven't met yet. All of us at 23 or 24 feel like our life hasn't been run its course. I think we all have hopes and dreams that are going to come. So that's influencing us. Like these ideas that are coming from the, the future, the right side of the line. But we're also experiencing the past and like thinking back to past relationships and past friends and that's also influencing us so Devin you're talking about these strings and karma influencing us we can't just be a person that's completely present we can't live too much in the future we can't live too much in the past we go back to virtues so we're this being that's getting influenced by this fourth dimension of time time that hasn't happened yet time that has happened but isn't here anymore And this is just something I've been thinking about every morning because I wake up and time feels like it's fake and I stare at the window while I'm drinking my coffee and I think about what it's going to be like when I can finally leave my house. And I also think about what it was like before this all happened and that's influencing me. So I've just been trying to conceptualize that because it almost helps me be more present, like knowing that there are other forces in my life that have to do with time and it makes it a little more existential, but also in a way makes it simpler. Okay, so you bring up existentialism, a theme for you guys, it seems. Don't get me started. <laughs> um, but Jumping a bit. I mean, does that go back to what we were saying about this song? <laughs> like maybe there's no meaning and like the fun of it slash slash frustration of it is trying to make meaning out of nothing. And is that what we're doing with life? <laughs> I think it could be. I think I, I cracked it. I think I cracked it. Every time Devin says, I think I cracked it. But this time, and I hate to go back to something we could have like, because I think this was pretty early on the podcast. We started talking about love triangles and we could have solved it right there. Dang it. Right. This is get away from Buddhism and philosophy and existentialism. I'm going back to the original, my original theory, right? I've got two loves, I've got two loves, and they go tweet, 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 like little birds. They're two loves and they go tweet, 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 like little birds. Right? They're my two loves. If you've ever been in that love triangle where you're balancing the two things and it's like stressful and nervous and like it's really 
getting you anxiety ridden, but at the same time, it's like a blast and really fun, just like this song. It has this fun melody that you just want to jam to in the horn section and you have the excitement of it and it's really like enthralling. But at the same time, you're like, my entire existence is in flames right now. What am I doing? I don't want to hurt either of these people. I have very strong feelings for both of them. And I'm really teetering this edge between everything falling apart, but I'm having so much fun. And I think that both of those relationships, the ability for you to have two loves simultaneously is because neither of those loves are that philia, that brotherly love, loving the thing for the thing itself. Those are loves of pleasure or utility. And this is someone who has these two loves of pleasure and utility, and that's why he has both, and that's why he's having so fun. But really, if it was the true friendship in the Aristotle sense, you could only have one. And that is my message for Valentine's Day. Love is polar bear. Yes. <laughs> That was left the Zoom chat. Wow. That was, that was good. A polar bear. <sighs> wow. That well was done. Did, does anyone have anything to add to that? I think it was well said. That was beautiful. Wow. Devin's sweating. Devin's face is literally a building on fire. <laughs> oh my god. How are you gonna stay hungry? I'm gonna stay hungry by constantly ranking my friends in my mind. That's great, Rachel. That's the whole point of this. Rank your friends. Make them compete for your time, attention, and love. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Emma? Continue with my chapter of life. Emma has been the grounding force. <laughs> I, I don't know what we would do if she wasn't here tweeting away. Thank you so much for that. Sweet tweet. Um, <laughs> you know, what I'm going to do is... I'm going to do what I do best, which is just spiral. And I'm going to just keep listening to the song because it's such a jam. And I just want to keep conceptualizing what these aloof words can mean. We started with how to even pronounce this song. We don't know who the loves are, what kind of loves. And it was just a spiral. And that's where I like to live. Devin? Warning. <laughs> that triggered me, man. That really sent me back to the hole, man. Don't, don't send me there. Oh, you guys. <sighs> well, this was another fantastic episode. Great. Rachel, Emma, thank you so much for being here. This was a lot of fun. Thank you, guys. Thank you for having yeah. us. It's, it's, it's great to have, have the quad squad. That's oh, yeah. <laughs> what they call us. Well, this has, been, uh, this has been Devin and Kevin and Emma and Rachel. Stop making sense. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Play the music. Let's get the hell out of here. No!